Back in. Fade. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Karis Levert, he's not human. Vucevic goes to attack mode. Man at the apex. It's a summit swap for Jared Allen. Last night it was the NBA suspending its season after Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive for the coronavirus. This hiatus will be at least 30 days. The NBA Board of Governors has approved a 22-team restart in Orlando, Florida at Disney World. One team that's fighting for some seating in the Eastern Conference, we're not even going to recognize it. Because right now there are seven players on the Nets that will not even be coming. Listen, guys, because there's no home court advantage, Brooklyn will advance to the second round. You heard it here first. <laughs> okay, big fella. Okay. What? <laughs> yep. Welcome to the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Seku Smith, here in Atlanta. We are continuing our ongoing series, looking at all 22 teams involved in the NBA restart in Orlando, starting July 30th, of course. And today we're talking Brooklyn Nets with my main man, former Hangtime Podcast co-host, John Schumann, an expert on all things, certainly about the NBA, but specifically about the Nets. They're obviously showing up to the competition in Orlando shorthand. Um, and I don't just mean Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, who they didn't have for, for much of the season prior to the shutdown. But who, who are these guys? Like, who are these guys <laughs> in Nets uniforms that people are going to be watching in Orlando? I think Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen will be the uh, most familiar faces that they'll see. Then you got uh, a Garrett Temple, I think, is is still... Uh, healthy and and on the active roster. Beyond that, it's it's uh it's it'll be makeshift. I think they're really thin up front. Beyond Jared Allen, I assume that Rodion's Kuroks is the sort of the default starting power forward. It'll be interesting. They're going to be small. They're going to play small. But I, I think you just put the focus on um, those first three guys because I think what the Nets do in in Orlando isn't matter much obviously um this team is is about Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and so this has sort of been and has been basically all season uh, a season of of waiting for those two guys to be healthy but i think there are questions going forward for the off season as brief as it may be uh regarding the supporting cast like that next tier of players on the nets beyond uh Durant and Irving and that starts with their sort of core four guys that have been around um, the sort of Kenny Atkinson group of Lavert, Harris, uh, Allen, and then Spencer Dinwiddie, who isn't there. And like, which of those four guys are coming back? Which of those four guys can complement Irving and Durant? Which of those four guys may be shopped in order to find somebody else? Interestingly, like, Joe Harris is the one that is the obvious compliment to Irving and Durant because he's one of the best shooters in the league, but he's the free agent of the group. And then the other three, you know, are under contract. Allen, you would think just sticks around because he's an important one of the group. And even though, you know, DeAndre Jordan was moved into the starting lineup after Kenny Atkinson was fired, I think Allen is, is obviously the, the future, the center of the future. Mm-hmm. But maybe he's a piece that needs to go in a in a trade if they're trying to upgrade uh, on the wing. So I, I think it's a fascinating question. I guess Levert will have this sort of microscope on him in however many games they have. He's tantalizing, but 
mostly a rough career so far. Um, as much as you and I want to see that guy succeed, you because he because uh, he went to Michigan because he's related to uh, Eddie and Gerald. <laughs> uh, rest in peace. I mean, he was their best player in last year's postseason against the Sixers. You know, he had a great start to that last season, the 2018-19 season, had that nasty injury, had a solid start to this season, then had another injury even earlier in the season, and then finished strong uh, once he was moved into the starting lineup in early February. But, like, he's never had sustained success. And I don't know if he or Dinwiddie compliments Irving and Durant very well. You know, it's always good to have as many guys who can – do things off the dribble as possible. Um, The Celtics have found success with that this season. The Jazz have have one of the most improved offenses in the league this season because they have multiple guys who can do stuff off the dribble. But Dinwiddie and LaVert are guys that need the ball in their hands, and they're guys that aren't necessarily catch-and-shoot complementary players in that role. I mean, if you're you're a team like the Nets, and we're we're forecasting for them – beyond the Orlando bubble, obviously. Don't you need a third guy, a number three guy like Dinwiddie or Lavert? Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you need one of those guys in the event that Kyrie or Durant is down and you've got to rely on that third guy? It's not Jared Allen. He's not going to be a, a, a guy who can be a volume scorer or, you know, give you the kind of production that either one of those guys, Dinwiddie or Lavert, will give you offensively. I mean, just if you're, if you're, if you're plotting the future for the Nets, wouldn't you need one of those guys as your third guy? Yes, but you want a third guy who's more of a hybrid, a guy who can play off the catch and who can, you know, create his own shot. So those guys can create their own shots, but those are two guys that are best just getting to the bucket. Check this. Levert on catch and shoot three pointers the last two seasons has shot 30% on catch and shoot threes. That's brutal. Like that is not something you want to put alongside like Irving and Durant. Dinwiddie's a little bit better, but he has not shot well from outside the paint. So you would, you would want a, a, a guy who can one shoot off the catch. And maybe those two guys can develop in that sense in the next few months. But I, I, that's, I think that's a big question for me is those two guys are really good at getting to the basket and aren't necessarily complementary players on the floor. With a lot of teams, you see the value in having multiple ball handlers on the floor at the same time. You know, one you know one pick and roll doesn't go anywhere. You 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 pitch the ball to the second side and you run another one, and and that has value. I would argue, just in defense of Levert and Dinwiddie as well, they might be better catch and shoot players when Kyrie and KD are on the floor as opposed to the dudes. And this is no offense to the guys they played with the last couple years, but I'm saying maybe they're better. When when the guy they're playing off of is is an all time great Hall of Famer, as opposed to each playing off of each other as the main option or someone else, and that's a valid point. That's just forecast. I mean, we're forecasting, of course. Um, a bigger question for me, John, about the Nets: Who and what are they now? I mean, when they before Kyrie and Kevin Durant came in free agency and Kenny Atkinson had developed a, a certain kind of culture for the group they had. Everybody was praising the job Sean Marks was doing, you know, in terms of crafting something from what they were prior to his arrival. Now, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I understood 
the attitude, kind of the the personality of what a Kenny Atkinson coach team was supposed to look like. Now I have no idea. I don't know what their personality as a group will be. Will they take on KD's persona and aura? Will they be a Kyrie-led team? I'm, as many questions about the supporting cast, I have questions about KD and Kyrie as the two centerpieces on the same team. We've seen them against each other, obviously, at, at the highest level. But what will they look like with those two guys as their centerpieces? It's a valid question. I think it's a total reset, basically, um, at the start of next season. I think, you know, whereas the culture drivers were Marks and Atkinson before, the culture drivers are now Durant and Irving. And I think that's part of the reason why Atkinson is no longer there. Um, I don't know how Jacques Vaughn sort of makes his case for the job in that he's only had two games to coach so far. He's going to have a maximum of what, 13, I guess, if they can steal a a playoff game uh, in Orlando. But even then, like Durant and Irving aren't even there. It's not like, it's like they're playing, they're not playing and they're in the locker room and, and in the, in the, in the meeting room, they're not even in Orlando. And those are the two guys that matter when it comes to choosing a, the next coach, whether it be Jacques Vaughn or, or somebody else. So I don't know how they make that decision uh, based on anything that happens uh, in the next uh, month. I did disrespect uh, some of the other guys who were going to be wearing Nets uniforms uh, in Orlando. I didn't mean to do that. Obviously, Jamal Crawford is, is one of my favorite guys of all time, and I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the league Um what kind of showcase is this for guys like that, guys who've been out of the league or on the fringes? Because we, we've never been in a situation where the entire league, you know, teams, coaches, whatever, will be concentrated. And this is like, this is different than summer league because that's when it's the future and young guys and developmental guys are, you know. But this is when the eyes of the entire league will be on what's going on in the bubble, maybe who can still, you know, get it done at a high level who can't. What kind of opportunity do you think this is for Jamal who haven't been seen on this stage in a while? Yeah, I mean, uh, Tyler Johnson is another one that they added who I believe got waived by the Suns this year because he was basically terrible for the Suns. I guess they're all, you know, basically auditioning for jobs next year, whether it would be with Brooklyn or, or somebody else. And Crawford, it's a showcase. He's going to get a chance, I think. Although, that where the Nets have some depth is in the backcourt. So it'll be even with Dinwiddie out and Irving out, they still have Levert, Garrett Temple, Joe Harris, Timothy Lawalu, Cabrero, Chris Chioza, who had had some moments for them yeah. um, before the season was suspended. Yeah. It's a motley crew for the Nets in Orlando. Nobody would, would dispute that. They, to me, it's an opportunity, if nothing else, for some of those guys to show out. You know, you got nothing to lose. They've obviously in a position to hold on to their playoff seed or you know spot and and not lose that um, in the seeding games they're going to play. You never know. I mean, this is one of those situations where you say, "Yeah, this is why you show up and play," um, because somebody inevitably is going to be prepared. Some players, some teams are not. It's it's a huge opportunity for for not only those players shoot, but for as you mentioned for Jacques Vaughn because we don't know what direction the Nets are going in in terms of. The, the coaching staff and, and the roster in, in a lot of um, instances. So it's going to be a, an opportunity for a lot of guys to 
to forge some some credibility with with Sean Marks and and maybe with the front office to see where they might fit potentially down the road. Are you getting the sense that Nets fans have kind of digested the fact that yeah, we're we're not only not going with our big dogs, we're going with a group that doesn't allow us to really put too much stock in what takes place um, in Orlando with this team. Basically, it's it's like all right, let's just see what Karis LeVert can do um, with the ball in his hands for however much it's going to be in his hands uh, during these eight to fifteen games. Maybe there's some um, a, a, a little bit of a spotlight on Kuroks and Allen just because they're young guys who who have still time to develop um, into uh, rotation pieces. Well, Allen's obviously a rotation piece, but Karutz is, there's questions around about his ability to, to play the four and, and, mm-hmm. and to be a, a rotation guy for a good team. So I think that's about it. Um, but of course we have no idea how this whole thing is going to play out, like how much it's going to look like what was, you know, the first two thirds of this season, who knows, like it's, it's going to feel like a totally different season and not just because, the gyms are empty, but because it's been four months since these guys put last played. Yeah, there's no question. It's going to be a very unprecedented environment for all these teams, and certainly the, the Nets as well. We're talking to John Schumann here on the Hangtime Podcast about the Brooklyn Nets. We've we've gloom and doomed them, but when we come back after the break here, we're gonna we're gonna talk some keys to the Magic Kingdom, play a little fantasy hoops, if we will, with this Nets group and uh, and what might be in store for them in the Orlando bubble. Welcome back here on the Hangtime Podcast, talking with John Schumann of NBA.com. We're talking about the Nets and, and kind of what the keys to their Orlando bubble experience will be at Disney in the Magic Kingdom here. And if we're looking at this group that has made the trip, and you you got a genie with, with three wishes, if you can grant them, what would they be for this Nets group in terms of things going the way they want them to in Orlando? One, I would say Karis LeVert has himself a a productive few weeks. And and I think it's more than just, you know, beyond his ability to get to the basket and finish. I think him as a playmaker will be interesting to see. And then I would say, two, you see some progress from from Jared Allen and, and Kuroots just as a as, – as, some promise for the future with those two guys. The Nets front office sort of keeps things tight-lipped, so we don't know how how much they want to sort of upgrade by shopping some of their younger guys. Mm-hmm. But if if Allen and Karutz do something that intrigues another team around the league, well, then maybe that helps Brooklyn find the upgrade that they want. You know, I guess Bradley Beal is the, the name that will come to mind first in that regard. And then three, I guess, avoid the play-in scenario with Washington and and actually make it into the playoffs clean. It's tough to see them uh, outlasting Orlando, although they they have a cup. They have two head-to-head matchups with the Magic, so if they can win both of those, then they they can get in at the seventh seed, have a slightly better matchup in the first round, and and then maybe win a playoff game. What regular season tendency did the Nets need to leave at home if they're going to have some sort of success in Orlando? Uh, their tendency to miss shots. 
the uh, <laughs> the Nets Nets you're the stat for you. The Nets are the only team that ranked in the bottom six in field goal percentage, three point percentage, and free throw percentage. So if they can Lord. Um, make some shots, you know, if they can catch fire, then that then they, they and and they still have the top ten defense that they had, then they're in decent shape. Beauty and the Beast matchups for the Nets. Um, What's the best possible matchup for them when we're talking about the playoff scenarios? I mean, we're, we're basically talking either Milwaukee or Toronto. So I think best is Toronto. Um, they did get a nice win. They were the team. The Nets were the team that ended the Raptors. I think it was 15 game winning streak uh, right before the all-star break. The Brooklyn got a win um, and they were competitive with them during that streak. I think just a few days before they ended the Raptors winning streak they had a, a tight game in toronto that came down to the last possession so I, I, that's obviously a better matchup than milwaukee um but who yeah. like i said who who knows <laughs> maybe toronto i i have a feeling like toronto could be sort of a team just because of their sort of um institutional knowledge and their the, the chemistry that they were able to show right away this season and the sort of the experience that they had from last year with that core group of seven guys I think Toronto could be a team that sort of is able to hit the ground running better than others in this thing. So maybe Toronto is is the worst matchup, but Milwaukee's just was has just been so good, especially defensively, that it's tough to not pick them as the best team in the East. Who would be Mr. Incredible for this Nets team? And I'm talking about who becomes that X factor and game changer for them in uniform in Orlando. We've talked about Karis LeVert enough, but he's going to have the ball in his hands like all the time. It's got to go with him. And then beyond that, um, Jared Allen, if he's able to just be a de- defensive anchor, then he can keep them in games that way by protecting the rim and forcing teams to shoot um, from the outside. Maybe that helps in a situation where teams haven't played for four months and therefore outside shooting is a little bit uh, more sketchy than the team's ability to get to the basket. Who do you think of those Nets players will end up being the rowdiest fan at an opposing team's game? Do any of these guys have a like a good friendship with with any of their opponents? I mean, I've, I would imagine you know a guy like Jamal Crawford is who will be fired up to be there anyway. He he would probably be the candidate. Yeah, he's a hoop head. He loves basketball. Like he's he's the most maybe the most passionate hoop head in the league yeah so maybe yeah like he would he and then obviously has a, a a lot of great relationships um around the league so that's a good that's a good answer tons of tons of connections around the league for jamal crawford um i don't know that that's such a young interesting group of guys i don't know if they got any golfers in the bunch who do, who do you think shows up with golf clubs from the nets garrett temple maybe garrett temple play golf i'm sure he does i'm, I'm sure he's He's a guy that likes to to compete like that, and uh, and he's older. You know, those older players, for some reason, they all seem like they got into golf at the same time. And he's in the MBPA sort of leadership along with, uh, like, Iguodala and Chris yeah. Ball and stuff. So maybe maybe there's a, there's a golf uh, sort of camaraderie within that group. Final question. If there's a, a fairy tale ending for this Nets team, what do they hope ultimately to get out of this? I'm not... I'm not crazy enough to think that this is a team that goes Hoosiers on everybody and, and up some top season playoffs. I mean, just realistically, what are they hoping to get out of town with in terms of something they can use as a stone for whatever they're building for the future? 
intrigue regarding their young guys, like where their young guys stand out to the point where one, they see them as a foundational piece, but maybe two, they see them as, or other teams see them as uh, trade pieces. I'm guessing that this team will go shopping for a third star, uh, quote unquote, and, and having Lavert or Jared Allen um, stand out in this situation could help them in that regard on the court, maybe a, a playoff win early in a series. So like a game one or game two win where they can, you know, put a little bit of pressure on whatever team they're facing in the first round and uh, make things and, and, and give their guys some sort of big game experience. I mean, obviously they, they have a little bit of history in terms of, you know, being in those pressure moments. I, I remember two years ago, we were talking about them being the cardiac kids, all the tight games they had for some good, some bad in terms of losing leads and uh, and making up ground at the end of games and making them exciting at the end. Brooklyn Nets will be an intriguing group to watch in, in Orlando. Shu, I know you're going to be watching all the games anyway, so I know you'll be breaking it down. We appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. Um, or at least your busier schedule than it has been during the pandemic, certainly cranking up now. We're, we're talking all 22 teams here on the Hangtime Podcast in the lead-up to the Orlando restart of the season, July 30th, in the bubble. Josh Schumann from NBA.com, I appreciate your time, sir. All right. <laughs>